The Start. On Demand. On Demand. Hi there. Back from vacation. And what a wonderful week off it was. And what a wonderful weekend with the first phase of Manitoba's reopening. Did you take advantage? If so, what did you do? Did your weekend include a trip to a restaurant or a patio? We'll speak to the owner of Finn's, Jay Kilgore, and find out what happened with the dishwasher at work. Something happened with the dishwasher and he had to go to the hospital. And that actually inspired one of the main conversations we had this morning, mishaps at work. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, who's in for Jeff Courier this week. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Monday, June 28th podcast for The Start. Good morning, Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is in for Jeff Courier this morning, this week. Mackling, hello there. How are you, man? Nice to hear your voice, my friend. How are you doing? Did you have a good week off? I mean, we did our best to not connect with one another, not because I don't love you like a brother, but, you know, anytime you see a text message from from either one of us, either Loren or I, I'm sure it would have felt a little bit like work. We had a couple of back and forth exchanges, but uh, did you make the most of your week? Oh yes, yes, I did. Uh, it was it was wonderful, and I and I again want to thank our management team for their patience because they, they've been hounding us for months to book our vacation, but like especially with the the restrictions that were in place, I didn't really want to take a week off where I couldn't do anything. So once it was clear that we were going to actually be able to do some things, then I was ready to book this past week off. And it was wonderful. The first couple of days, I basically just was like a bear in hibernation. I, I can't, I, I was almost like Kramer on Seinfeld. I just kept taking these random naps. So I'd sleep for two hours here and two hours there. Uh, but I got a lot of sleep. I played a lot of golf. I ate like a pig. Yesterday was detox day. I think I drank 14 liters of water to try to right the ship. It was like, I need lettuce and celery stat. Uh, but uh, I, I, I actually woke up this morning surprisingly rested, even after, like, I couldn't fall asleep till I think after 10. Uh, but I woke up, I think, at 1.30 and thought, okay, let's, uh, let's do this. Well, I can hear it in your voice. You sound recharged. You sound as though you're ready to go. And it's sort of an abbreviated week. For us, an odd week with Canada Day falling on Thursday, and then we have some national programming that's going to, we're not exactly sure how it's supposed to work on Wednesday, but we have some special programming for you on Wednesday, and then we're back at it Friday. So lots of people say, hey, how about you do this with us? You want to do that with us uh, on Thursday? I'm like, I got to work on Friday. <laughs> I'll take Friday off. I can take Friday off. So <laughs> it'll be a little bit of a different week for a lot of us. But it's great to have you back in the saddle, brother. Well, that's why you got to make some plans for Wednesday night. Then, then you can do her up Wednesday. You can recover on Thursday. Say, hey, speaking of recovery, um, you uh, you got your your vax right. You, you, so the Triple M is Astra Modernified. That we are. I thought you were going a different road there because oh, we're going uh, to Jeffrey Forte's having a rough day. Oh, well, I was going to go there next, but yeah, since well, no. since we brought it up, Forte. <laughs> How you feeling, Jeff? Uh, I partied a little too hard this weekend, so uh, <laughs> birthday boy, you know, 
Saturday. Saturday. Saturday still, was the day. You're still feeling still it today. Still, oh, I'm buddy. still feeling it all right. <laughs> welcome to welcome to older. Welcome to your to your thirties. Yeah, I'm in my thirties and I can feel it all right. <laughs> all right that's good. I was I was gonna say you're like you're still like a rookie. Yeah. Come on now. Yeah. <laughs> but good for you. Um, but yeah, how, you got your second shot. Uh, was it on Friday? It was on Friday, and uh, shout out to the folks at Exchange District Pharmacy, Deb and Ryan. Uh, they had a little bit of an issue getting the their Moderna vaccines into the pharmacy, so we were a little bit on standby. But as soon as they got them into the pharmacy, I got a text message, and Jackie and I rushed down there, and we we got our second shots, and that things went, you know, easy peasy. And Saturday wasn't too bad. I had a little bit of a headache, but Jackie was the, the exact opposite of what she was with her first dose of the AstraZeneca. It really knocked her on her back for oh, a solid, a solid 36 hours or so. She was fine. Absolutely no issues whatsoever. So, uh, as of, uh, as of, uh, nine and a half days from now, we'll be, uh, both fully vaccinated. Yeah, I know a lot of people who got their second doses this week, and they were within five, six weeks of their first dose. You know, their first dose was, whether it was Pfizer or Moderna, I know, I think, three people who had to call in sick on uh, Tuesday alone because they got their second shots on Monday and they were not well enough to go to work. So a lot of people, it seems like, and this is just anecdotal, this is just my own observation, but it seems like the less time that passes between the shots the trickier that second shot can be. Like my dad was, I think, two and a half months between his Pfizer doses, so his second one was fine. But I know somebody who got her second shot, I think it was 28 days later, and uh, how did my buddy say it? My sister, first Pfizer shot, no problem. Second one, almost killed her. So it just, but it seems to be a mixed bag. Other people were completely fine, even after five weeks. So I'm glad to hear that it wasn't too bad for you. I don't think you're alone in that observation. I I know uh, one of my buddies that I saw over the weekend, he, for some reason, decided to get his within 22 days. I'm not sure how he managed to do that. But uh, he said uh, that was probably a mistake (laughs) because it hit him really, really hard, put him down for the count for about two days. So uh, lots of conversation about COVID-19 today, unfortunately, but... The good side was that we were able to do some things that we haven't been able to do in a long time. Jackie's back at the gym today. I think I hear her stirring now. She's she's back on her routine, getting up at 5.30 in the morning. So she's, believe it or not, very excited about that. I know a lot of people are excited about getting back in the gym, amongst other things. As Manitoba moved from level red to orange in the fight against COVID-19 over the weekend, three notable countries around the world are seeing surges of the Delta and Delta Plus variants. Yeah, so let's start in Australia. The highly contagious Delta variant is forcing Australia to put millions of people into lockdown as infection numbers surge, dealing a major blow to the country's COVID-0 strategy. Authorities are limiting activities in New South Wales affecting 5 million residents. Important to note here, Brett, less than 5% of Australians are fully vaccinated with two doses of vaccine. In Israel, mask mandates are returning, despite the fact 85% 
of Israelis are fully vaccinated. The country is delaying by one month a plan to reopen to tourists. And on Saturday, the UK recorded its most new coronavirus infections since early February. Now, fortunately, to this point, at least, hospitalizations and deaths are not rising at a proportionate rate. Epidemiologist and founder of Epi Research, Cynthia Carr, has been our authority on this on the start and joins us now live once again. Cynthia, good morning to you. Good morning. So listen, we've been hearing about this Delta variant for weeks now uh, and whether or not the vaccines work against it. So what is the data telling us? Uh, The data are telling us that certainly uh, having that second dose, uh, being fully vaccinated, makes a really big difference um, with respect to the variant of concern, uh, this Delta variant in particular. Um, But the good news for people, for example, for um, research on Pfizer, is the the effectiveness against symptomatic disease is is about 88% in one study, um, and even AstraZeneca was about 60%, which is still on the high side for many vaccines. But again, uh, it relates back to having that second uh, dose because the effectiveness of preventing symptomatic disease after one dose with this Delta various variant was as low as 33%. So we will keep an eye on those countries uh, over the next days and weeks here, Cynthia. But here in Manitoba, we are finally seeing a convergence of higher vaccination rates, lower case numbers, and a reduction in hospitalizations and people in the ICU. Where do you see us standing on that front? Yeah, I agree. You know, we've had a couple days now of fewer than 100 cases. Uh, You know, just a few weeks ago, our uh, seven-day case rate uh, average was about 263. It's about 106 now. Exponential decline really can happen, just like exponential increase, uh, the more we bring in these protective measures, and that's what we're seeing. Uh, But what we have to remember and and learn from other countries is that now is not the time to stop. We really need to power to get to a fairly high uh, critical vaccination threshold, which I think is over 80% at this point, given the uh, ability for these uh, variants of concern to spread. And again, uh, to follow through with those uh, people that had their first vaccine to book that second. And again, everybody is eligible now. Some are wondering, Cynthia, if a third dose or maybe a booster of the vaccine is on the horizon. Is that part of the discussions you're involved in? Um, Certainly that is, uh, you know, conversation in the science community and the most kind of recent feedback from the World Health Organization is that they uh, see that perhaps the scenario is an annual uh, vaccine for our most uh, vulnerable uh, residents, so an annual booster, and then perhaps every two years for the general population. And part of that is not just that we don't know how long the vaccine itself lasts, uh, but because again of the changes uh, with these variants of concern uh, that it would the vaccine likely will need to be updated to kind of meet these new threats as they come along. But we won't be in a pandemic situation forever. It's just that the virus will probably continue to be endemic and circulate. In Toronto yesterday, uh, Cynthia, they had a a gigantic vaccine clinic at Scotiabank Arena. Mm -hmm. I know at the RBC Convention Centre, they're planning to do more vaccinations than they have at any single point. Uh, in in the country outside of what happened in Toronto yesterday. So the push is really on. Talk about the psychology of, of the movement 
to get that second dose or maybe even, you know, we're seeing uh, some people now on the uptake of their first dose that might have been hesitant in the past, that whole idea of, of vaccines and taking selfies when you go and spreading that message on social media because Brett mentioned it earlier in the program and I've noticed it. So many people getting that second dose over the last uh, several days and it's, it's almost inspiring to see it. Yes, and around uh, one of the committee tables I'm on, uh, we had a conversation Friday just about um, how nice the people are at, at the centers and how welcome you feel. And, you know, my father, for example, is in early stages of dementia. He felt very comfortable there. So um, it's not perfect, but it doesn't mean it's not great. And when I say it's not perfect, I mean the government recognizes that. And that's why there is that Protect MB uh, community grant program to kind of say, okay, we're still not there with getting everybody vaccinated. Are there some community ideas, whether it's a local pop-up clinic or, or new communication uh, campaigns, which can include experiences of, of those that have been vaccinated or conversations with uh, trusted physicians uh, to power through and get through, um, you know, Manitobans vaccinated? Because what we're really learning from other countries that had early success is they, they kind of what these variants of concern now are doing is, is exploiting the weaknesses, which is the targets that were left. So earlier in the game, 60% vaccinated, that was a great threshold. But now with the variants of concern, it wasn't. And those countries that were kind of enjoying reopening are now being hit. Before we let you go, Cynthia, with other countries having problems with the Delta variant and having to slow down their reopening plans or go back into lockdown, Manitoba's just begun its reopening. How concerned should we be about Delta potentially throwing a wrench into the spokes here? We, we do need to take it seriously, uh, but we're certainly not, you know, like Australia that had, you know, nightclubs and bars and, you know, everything open, which are great things to have open. I'm just saying there's, you know, lots of people kind of crowding together, which gave fodder to the Delta variant. Uh, so that's why we do need to kind of take it slow, although I know that's frustrating for businesses and all of us to hear, but it is the right thing to do because this thing is highly transmissible. Cynthia Carr, epidemiologist and founder of Epi Research. Thank you so much for your time. As always, we appreciate it. My pleasure. Have a good day. It is 644 on 680 CJOB. And just one more note as well for those with the uh, AstraZeneca vaccine, uh, even though she men- Cynthia mentioned that the efficacy is a bit lower on the AstraZeneca than the Pfizer versus the Delta variant, both of them uh, are 90%, over 90% effective at uh, preventing serious hospitalization. So that's something uh, that gives me confidence, Greg, because I'm Astra boy, you're Astra Moderna, and uh, Loren is astrophized. Yeah, we all have a different combination. And uh, yeah, I have a great deal of confidence in in what we've done and and how these vaccines are are working. And all we can do is is keep an eye on other countries and their experience. It's critical that, that we don't try and reinvent the wheel every single time these new variants pop up we have to take note of what's happening elsewhere in my opinion in order to stem the tide and make sure we're ahead of it and being proactive versus reactive to to what it what is to come almost inevitably back to the patio we're going to speak with jay kilgore who is the owner of fins and over the weekend he tweeted When I opened the restaurant this morning, I didn't think I'd end up in urgent care at 2 a.m. 
but here we are. Smiley face. I'm fine on my way out after seeing a dock. It involved a dishwasher and a lot of electricity. And he did post a video, which he has since taken down. But, uh, yeah, the dishwasher was kind of sparking, and I guess it zapped him. And uh, he had to go to the hospital to get checked out. So he's good to go. He's going to tell us about that at 8 o'clock. But in the meantime, that made us wonder, like, what kind of mishaps have we experienced at work? So tell us a story. 204-780-6868. gift card up for grabs for Santa Lucia Pizza. Uh, Cam Poitras, let's start with you. Uh, well, this is, I got to go back to my days working construction uh, with my uh, family's company. And uh, we, were, we were waiting for some, it was this big piece of equipment. I don't want to mention what company it was or anything like that, but waiting for this big piece of equipment to help us out in the morning to take care of um, uh, the, the, the job that we were doing in that day. So the guy was about 45 minutes late and he showed up and he was wearing his uh, same clothes as I assume that he was wearing the night before. Mm-mm. And so he was in, he was not in a good, in good condition and you can only make assumptions about what happened. But anyways, he was, had to work this big piece of equipment and he was making mistakes and he was sloppy and uh, this giant arm almost, com- we were just sitting there watching it, almost completely crushed him against a wall. Oh, no. It was because there was an edge that he was able to, it, it, was only, it only blew him back, so he actually wasn't crushed, but he had just avoided it. Um, and then he just looked down at himself and he went, oh my goodness, and he just like went, <sighs> and then he just like calmed himself down and he was okay for the rest of the day, but like this guy was like inches away from getting just completely he would have been he'd have been dead for sure wow yeah it was crazy okay that's yeah. that's tricky uh jeff braun what about you uh my story doesn't involve any harm or close to harm at least thank goodness um it's another radio station story back at our old studios at 930 portage avenue the control room there had this massive steel door that uh once shut and locked like a charging rhino couldn't get through that door <laughs> It was that big and heavy, and it had this lock, this electromagnetic lock on it. And one morning, uh, the poor lady who was uh, opping that morning doing the job that Forche does for us today, uh, she just had a nip out for a couple of minutes to grab a a coffee or something like that, but her knee accidentally hit the lock button. And as she left the control room, the door shut behind her and locked with no one in it and it was early in the morning so there was there were no engineers around to sort of try and get through that lock or whatever and uh we just we commercials played for 45 straight minutes before they could get back into that control room and and turn off the computer that plays the commercials and turn on the microphones for the hosts or whatever so that that, that's like a nightmare scenario i have nightmares about that and i wasn't even there that day so (laughs) that, that one's always stuck with me how did they get the door open I don't know. I think they had a they had to like cut the power to the room altogether or something like that. I'm not sure. Oh wow, that's like my worst <laughs> yeah. fear. Get locked yeah. out here. Don't yeah. let the door shut behind you, Jeffrey. I will not. Mackling, what about you? You've worked. You've probably got some stories from your restaurant days. Oh yeah, for sure. I remember the night my buddy Daryl ran the $400 margarita blender through the dishwasher, thinking that was an effective way to oh, no. to wash it. Not a very good idea. <laughs> I don't know if they ever made him pay for that. I, th- I think they should have made him pay for it because it was just dumb. Um, probably the worst thing, though, I own my own restaurant with my brothers in uh, Vernon back in the day, and we had this great big Oscar night party, and we had 100 people watching the Oscars. We were having a great time, and the washrooms stopped working. We had a plugged sewer or something, and we had to escort our guests down the street to another restaurant when they needed to use the washroom. 
And eventually we had to send everyone home in the middle of this premiere event that we'd been marketing for weeks and weeks. It was the culmination of so much work only to have it go down the drain. Oh, man. <laughs> and uh, Forte, you got a story? I used to work at Little Caesars, and uh, my buddy, well, we used to keep the sauce in these big crocs, and uh, my buddy was dragging out one of the crocs one day, and it spilt this whole entire, completely full, completely full, all over the floor was the sauce, and they had to use a, uh, a dustpan to shovel it into garbage bags and then <laughs> take it out to the back. <laughs> Worst thing ever. <laughs> Greg, I'll ask you the question uh, in, as it relates to the question of the day. Did you take advantage of the reopening? We absolutely did. We went and saw friends and family, uh, some family that we had seen since the restrictions a few weeks ago lightened when we were able to have a handful of uh, family over to the house. But uh, on Saturday, we took full advantage. We went over to our friend's place. We have a beautiful pool in their backyard. So uh, my friends know who they are. Thanks for their incredible hospitality on Saturday afternoon and into the evening. And we realized we hadn't been at their house in two years. And it's a place that we go regularly in the summertime, two or three times in the summer. And to not have been there at all last summer, so bizarre. And uh, we were celebrating our friend uh, Andrea's birthday. And, and yeah. There were a two-year gap in getting together with some of our best friends. Just truly bizarre, but it felt so good, Brett, just to be with folks and to not have to worry uh, necessarily about, uh, you know, how you were interacting with one another. I know we were still doing our best to be careful, but it just, it, it felt like new normal. We were still being careful about uh, hugs and handshakes and stuff, but... My goodness, it just felt so good to to be together again. It might sound corny and cheesy. And then my dad and my stepmom both got their second vaccinations on Saturday. And I was texting with my dad and then I saw it on Facebook. And, you know, I got choked up when I realized that, that they had their second vaccinations and so many people that I know got double vaxxed over the last week or so and and that was the one that really got me emotional so uh yeah it was uh, quite the weekend on that front it was an emotional weekend and it was weird because it just the 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 difference between thursday friday and then saturday it was super bizarre like thursday after we recorded the couch potatoes i walked over to the king's head and ordered some butter chicken poutine and then i sat in old market square and ate it there and then friday i went to the grove and grabbed some takeout and went and ate that at peanut park uh, but then on Saturday, and I even went golfing too on uh, Friday, where there no tables were set up, no one allowed in the clubhouse. But then Saturday morning was different. They were setting up their patio tables. I got to share a golf cart, and my buddy says, hey, they pulled the dividers, so no more dividers in the golf carts. Uh, then we sat on the patio after the round, shared a table. Sh- uh, you know, We each got to eat a meal together. Uh, then I dropped by the King's Head after my round just, just to see what was going on, and it was nice to see so many people happy you know the staff were happy you could tell they were thrilled and the customers were just thrilled to be there uh went for a stroll on Corridon and through osborne village after that people everywhere 
The patios were packed. It was nice to see the dining rooms had people inside. And the one thing that uh, happened at the when I left the King's Head, Chris, uh, the owner at the King's Head, he got his, he's, I think, fully vaccinated. Well, both of us. We went, I think it was three weeks ago now. We each have our immunity digital cards, at least. I'm still waiting for the uh, the, the hard copy to come in the mail. But uh, I just gave, I gave him a quick hug when when I left, and it was like an emotional nuclear bomb went off. <laughs> I just I didn't want to let him go, first of all, because it felt so nice to give somebody a hug for the first time in 16 months. And then I just <laughs> I went to my car and I sat there. You say you were choked up. I just full-on wept, man. It was uh, just it was overwhelming, but in a, such a good way. Right. It was just such a joyous and celebratory weekend. It's amazing. Carolyn Clausen, our good friend, uh, who is now on with Hal Anderson in the afternoons, who was on our afternoon program uh, for a year. You know, she says we're wired for connection. And that was really apparent uh, for a lot of folks over this past weekend. And yeah, you know, you mentioned the fact that that you're outside of that two week window since your sec- second vaccine. So you you are legitimately vaccinated and double vaxxed and i don't want to know about the waxed part but (laughs) the uh, idea that you know once you get into that category uh hug again and of course our own clay young brought uh smiles uh to the faces of so many including dr rusin and premier pallister when he said oh god i can hug again when he asked the question about whether or not that was allowed after you were outside that two-week window and you had the qr code the check mark and or the uh, the vaccination card. So, it, it, you know, the little things, hopefully that after we get over the frustration and, and maybe some of the anger over how some of this has been handled, we, we will uh, once again appreciate the little things that we've um, we've been missing over the last 16 months. Mackling and McGarry, McNabb is in for Jeff Courier this week. We are asking you this morning for a chance to win a $20 gift certificate for Santa Lucia Pizza, which we'll give away at 9.15, to text us a story about a mishap at work, whether it was just something silly or something that could have been or maybe ended up being potentially very serious. Great story here, Greg, about McDonald's. Oh, my word. My heart is just uh, palpitating from reading this because... I can I can just feel the tension here. My first day of work at McDonald's when I was 15, it was a closing the store shift. We closed at 11. After locking the doors, the manager instructed me to fill the milkshake machine. So I went back to the cooler to grab a 20-liter bag of milkshake cream. I think you guys can, if you ever worked in the restaurant business, uh, you know what a milk crate looks like. Yeah, stacked eight high. Okay, of course, the bag was in the top crate, so I reached to lift out the bag, and the cap got caught on the handle, and the crate popped off, dumping all the cream on my head (laughs) as I stood there in shock. I came out of the cooler covered in cream to tell my manager, and the look on his face, I will never forget. The manager and I were stuck there for an extra hour, unpaid, completely emptying the cooler, cleaning up everything all the while my dad was waiting out in the parking lot to pick me up worst day of work ever thanks for sharing that with us this morning mackling and mcgarry mcnab is in for jeff courier this week as jeff braun has been telling you in global news the pandemic 
has given many Canadians a taste of working from home. Last month, a poll by Leger and the Association for Canadian Studies suggested that four in five respondents don't want to go back to their pre-pandemic schedule. And Barbara Bowes with Winnipeg's Legacy Bowes Group was telling CJOB that employers are shifting towards more flexible work models and she's predicting that more hybrid work schedules and job sharing could become the norm. I know one of my buddies, uh, he works for a big company in Winnipeg and he's been working at home since the pandemic began. And, and he has, I think he, I don't even think he has a choice. I think he's been told essentially we are not going back to the way things were. So it looks like it's going to be a hybrid model for him uh, for sure, which he doesn't actually mind all that much. But I was, I'm, I'm kind of surprised by this. Four out of five don't want to go back. What do you think to that? Well, you know, I think we've just realized that there's a different way of going about our work day. And for many people, it's not an option. You have to be, if you're a frontline worker, you have to be a, at a certain place at a certain time. If you're in manufacturing, obviously, it's very difficult for you to be in the aerospace industry, let's say, and uh, refurbish uh, parts for aircraft in your basement or in your garage as much as you'd like to do that. But for many others, there are options out there. And uh, I don't know if we're thinking about the very same person, but uh, I know somebody who, who, and I know you know this person as well, who worked for a very large company, international company based in Winnipeg, and had been lobbying to work at home for years and years. And they said, no, that would never, ever work. No chance, no way, no how. But of course, now COVID-19 comes along and they had no choice but to implement a system where work from home could continue. Well, now there's an acknowledgement of, oh, geez, maybe this does work. And uh, this common friend of ours has basically said, yeah, you'll be dragging me back to the office kicking and screaming. But I'm getting the impression that maybe there isn't going to be a ton of pushback in terms of this being an option for employees, at least some of them at this company. So that's a nice shift. And also, if you take a look, uh, Brett, I, I know you were on holidays last week, but their big story out of the United States right now is how many people are actually quitting their jobs right now. Like a record number was over 4 million Americans quit their jobs uh, in the last month because the economy is going so well, people are finding other opportunities, other options that either pay them better, have better benefits, or maybe that flexible work schedule. People are looking at the the world uh, in a different way. And the business and the job climate, the employment uh, front is a little bit different right now. And, and employees sort of carry a little bit more of a balance of power right now. Are we seeing that in Canada? Not necessarily yet, but it's something definitely that uh, employers are going to have to be mindful of, that employees are looking to have more say in how they work, where they work, and they might have a little bit more bargaining power at the very same time. I have been happy uh, to be the one who sort of consistently comes into the studio over the last 16 months just because I think working from home would be terrible for for me and quite frankly my neighbors but one of the things that I I hope continues is that when we finish the show and then we take off at 10 30 11 o'clock because our workday carries on through the day intermittently sometimes up until 8 9 10 o'clock at night uh, and I, I don't miss <laughs> I don't miss all the meetings we used to have oh, after gosh. our shift that would keep us here till 1130 12 1230 uh, I don't want to go back to that so because of that like I said our workday doesn't end 
at 12 o'clock, right? It's uh, We don't punch a clock and that's it. No more work. So uh, that's a hybrid that I would be very much in, <laughs> in favor of. We want to start this hour by talking about two amazing sights from over the weekend, Greg. One of them, seeing people on patios and inside restaurants. And the other site, someone getting fried by a dishwasher. Yeah, Jake Ilgore owns two locations of Finn's Pub. One out here in my neck of the woods near Region and Lajamodier. And the other is uh, closer to where you call home, Brett, at Grand Park Centre. Uh, good morning, Jay. Good morning. Glad to uh, know that you're uh, available to join us this morning. I saw video <laughs> evidence that had me a little concerned about your health before we discuss this uh, reopening and the giant patios you had in place. What happened with the dishwasher that sent you to the hospital that has kindled our having coffee talking <laughs> topic this yeah. morning, workplace accidents? Well, it was uh, it was closed after the great first day of opening um, on Saturday, and uh, the bartender that was working uh, saw a spark come from it, and immediately um, our staff are trained to come and get their supervisor or manager as soon as there's a, any sort of a hazard. And uh, I went to fiddle with it, and I there was a faulty switch, um, and I got uh, I got quite the jolt. So I was okay. Um, we, I went to the, <laughs> we went to urgent care just to be sure and uh, uh, make sure to, uh, anytime you, there's that much electricity, you want to get your heart checked. So um, could have been a lot worse. Pretty happy that it wasn't. And uh, the, the, it got switched out the very next morning. So um, it, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's behind us, but it was, it was a little scary at first. <laughs> so and thanks for sharing the video. I know you have, you've since had to take it down, but uh, that was uh, pretty uh, daunting by the looks of it, but at least he had a sense of humor about it. Uh, so that's good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was, it was, uh, it was scary at first, but uh, we're we're okay, so it's fine. Now we wanted to ask you, like, some of the negativity that's been tossed your way on social media, like about people accusing you of segregation and what's like, what's going on there? Yeah, um, I think it might be some miscommunication on, uh, I guess, where the rules are coming from. Um, I posted uh, all of the province's guidelines on our Instagram um, in order to make sure that there was no confusion as far as people showing up with friends, wanting to sit inside that were unvaccinated, things like that, um, just so that everything was clear and there, the guidelines from the province in order for us to open. Um, and we've been, we took a lot of backlash for that. Um, I, I think that people thought they were our rules. Um, we, I guess there's, there's a lot of... Um, um, animosity towards the one the one rule that allows vaccinated people to sit in, indoors together um, at the same table whereas unvaccinated people have to be uh, household only so yeah there was uh, I'd say all day all day over the weekend there was a message after message about uh, how we needed to stand up for uh, you know against that and uh, honestly my my motivation for my decisions a lot of the time during this pandemic is getting my 70 staff back to work and so um, we're going to operate within every public health order in order to do that. And I'm, I'm kind of unapologetically doing that. So, Well, I had at least two different people comment on your Twitter feed and discussions about the reopening in restaurants and just how wonderful you've been, not only in letting people know about your plight, your plans, uh, the work that you're doing 
to, to help feed uh, frontline workers, but also your very vigorous support for what some would call the competition, Jay. And I retweeted one of your tweets, and, and I'm pretty sure you liked it. The, yeah. the whole idea, you know, I loved my time in the in the hospitality industry, and we can talk about family and and the workplace all we want, but you know that transcends not just where you work. There's a genuine uh, affection for anybody that works in the hospitality industry, whether you're quote unquote competition or not. Yeah, um, I just I guess I think you're I know what you're talking about the Saturday morning. I just uh, as excited as I was to. To, for myself and my staff, um, I, I couldn't help but think about the uh, the restaurants that maybe don't have room or you know twenty five percent capacity just isn't enough for them. If you only have a forty seat restaurant um, indoors, putting ten people in it just probably isn't going to be worth it to open. And so I was, uh, I just I felt I needed to say something that we you know we're no, restaurants aren't through this. So a lot of them are getting a lot of us are getting close. But um, there's places without patios or, you know, a lot of the pictures of our extended patio went, uh, um, you know, a lot of people saw those. And I'm just lucky that I have that much space and Grand Park Mall was willing to work with us to build that uh, or approve it and encourage it. So um, we need to remember that, you know, takeout from places without patios or a large footprint is still important. How was it to be back at it, getting to host guests again on your patios and in your dining room? Oh, it was wonderful. <laughs> it was, uh, it felt so good. It was, um, you know, for all the the negativity about some of those rules, it was, uh, you know, 10 to one positive. Um, it was just great to see regulars, great to see friends, great to see a lot of new faces. We, you know, with some of the work we've done with uh, shelters as well as healthcare meals, we've, we've uh, built a following from people that maybe never had the chance to try us, uh, um, for dine-in, and uh, we, we saw a lot of those faces, a lot of a lot of new Twitter friends, and uh, um, a lot of our staff were overworked and tired. But I don't think I saw a single one without a smile on their face all weekend because they were just so happy. Wow, that's fantastic, and really echoes the sentiments of so many of us getting to see uh, familiar faces or brand new faces again, and to, and to smile and to exchange that. That, that feeling is uh, super powerful. So um, before we let you go real quick, Jay, can you share with us real quick anything else crazy like what you had happen at close on Saturday night? Uh, everybody's got uh, restaurant or work mishap stories. Have you, have you got another one that you can share with us real quick? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I guess uh, there's there's another video that's uh, that went a little viral. Um, I didn't take that one down, <laughs> but uh, um in February, I believe I was carrying uh, 80, a bundle of 80 burgers to go to St. Boniface Hospital. And I caught a patch of ice going out to my car. And uh, I just, I almost did a backflip. <laughs> there was uh, burgers everywhere. So that was, uh, I was okay, luckily. And I, but uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was another one. So <laughs> it was, I got to be more careful. That's for sure. Well, Jay's everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Jay Kilgore from Finns, thank you so much for joining us this morning. And uh, it's great to see all the pictures you shared of uh, people enjoying your patios. And I got to tell you, ever since we booked this interview, all I've been thinking about is the Reuben sandwich at Finns. It's a killer sandwich. So I foresee one in my uh, future, either this afternoon or tomorrow afternoon. Perfect. Well, I appreciate you guys having me and uh, have a great day. It is Monday. Just after 8.37, which means our weekly visit with the voice 
of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, the legendary voice of the CFL in our province, Greg Bob Irving. That's right. Lots of people talking about the Blue Bombers right now and getting very excited for the season opener, August 5th. The CPL playing games at IG Field, including, as Cam told us in sports this morning, a season opening win, a 2-0 win for Valor FC over Hamilton yesterday and tonight in Tampa, Florida. One more time, Brett McGarry. The North American Ice Hockey League Championship is here. Gets underway between the two teams all the experts predicted would be in the final. The defending champion, Lightning, and the Colorado, I, I mean the uh, Canadien du Montreal. <laughs> Good morning, Bob. Good morning, you guys. How are you? We're doing A-OK. We've seen some unlikely finals over the years. Of course, the Lightning are not a surprise, but boy, the Canadians were picked by only diehard fans and long-shot betters. Are Canadian hockey fans obligated to cheer for the Habs, Bob? <laughs> That's a great question. When the playoffs began, you talk about long shots. The Habs were a 50-1 to 1 long shot to get to the – well, to win the Cup, 50-1. to 1. So if you dropped $100 on them, uh, Greg, you'd be doing quite well. Are Canadians obligated to cheer for the Canadians? Well, I think there's sort of uh, two or three schools of thought here. One of them is that – it's a Canadian team in the championship final for the first time in a long time. And so you should cheer for them because they're a Canadian team. Of course, there are the Montreal Canadiens fans, and there's still a lot of them around here back from the original six days, and they'll be cheering for Montreal. And then the third group is the people that don't like the Montreal Canadiens, Greg and Brett, and there's a lot of them out there. And there's no particular reason for them not to like them other than fans have their favorites and their non-favorites. So I don't think anybody's obligated to, but my guess is that the majority of those who watch the Stanley Cup final here in Canada will be pulling for the Montreal Canadiens because they're Canadian and because they're such a good story. When the playoffs began, nobody thought they could do what they've done. It's a real Cinderella run that they've had. And it's not a fluke. I mean, they've played very well and deserve to win all the series they've won. So I think it's, it'll be easy to cheer for Montreal in this series. Well, and similar story to the Blue Bombers, right? The Bombers have been almost 30 years without a great cup. It's been 20, what, 28 years, I think, for the Habs since they've been to the, since they won their last cup? Well, they're in the final for the first time since 1993. That's right. And so, uh, yeah, it's been a long, long run. Now, it's a little more difficult in the NHL to win because there's 30 teams although there were only 24 when Montreal won it back in 1993. So the odds against you winning it are long to begin with. And I guess that's what makes, as we look at Tampa Bay, the Lightning, that's what makes them remarkable. They've got a chance to win it two years in a row. And that does not happen very often anymore in the NHL with so many teams. And it's not going to happen very often going forward. So the Lightning could really, you know, stake a claim to some serious history if they could win the championship. Baseball, let's talk a little baseball as we, you know, Canada's team, Canada's only Major League Baseball team. I was a long-suffering and loyal Expos fan before they moved to Washington back in 1994. Baseball working its way to the half point of their season and the All-Star game, the Midsummer Classic, as they call it, Bob. The Blue Jays remain essentially a 500 team, 40-36 and 36 record, although... They've won seven of their past eight games. And Vladdy Guerrero Jr., speaking of the Expos, Vlad Guerrero's son is having quite the season at the plate. Well, he's one of the huge stories in baseball so far this year. At 22 years of age, it's his third year in the bigs with 
the Blue Jays, and he's been a top prospect for a number of years. Everybody thought he was going to be an outstanding player, but man, is he lighting it up this year. In the first 76 games, you talked about the Jays being 40 and 36, and that is in, in contention for a playoff spot, the way they set up the playoffs. He's hit 26 home runs. He's knocked in 66 runs. His batting average is 339. And if you got into some of these numbers they use now in baseball, his on-base percentage is 443. And trust me, that's through the roof. And his OPS is 1.125, and that is almost unimaginable. Mm-hmm. So he is he is a major story in baseball this year. Whether or not he can keep it up, I don't know. But his talent has never been in question. And this is, I think, the kind of performance that everybody who followed Vladdy Guerrero as a, as a teenager and then up now to 22 years of age, everybody who follows baseball and the experts in baseball said this is the kind of thing he's capable of. But now he's doing it. Imagine how heartbreaking it must be for fans in Toronto not to be able to witness this firsthand because the Blue Jays haven't been able to play any home games. They're playing their home games in Buffalo right now. They're hopeful later in the year that they can play some games at uh, Rogers Center. I was going to say Sky Dome there. Uh, you know, they hope to have some games in front of their Toronto fans before the season is over. But, boy, wouldn't the turnstiles be spinning if they were able to play in Toronto right now just for a chance to see Vladdy Guerrero do the things he's doing? Euro Cup, meanwhile, is heating up. Uh, have you been watching? And if so, what have you been watching? Well, you know, I watch in and out. I'm not a great follower of soccer, but these kind of major competitions capture my attention. I think like they do a lot of people, Brett. Uh, Belgium beat Portugal yesterday, and, of course, uh, the Portuguese, man, do they love their soccer. They, Belgium won that game one nothing. Belgium has never won a major soccer championship, never in their history. And they are one of the favorites now as we get down to the the final eight. There's four teams into the final eight, and four more will be determined. Uh, and, and as it goes into the, the final eight now and, and then the semifinals, I'll pay more attention and watch. These guys are remarkable. Again, I'm not a huge soccer fan, but soccer players are remarkable athletes. The things they can do with their feet when you stop to think about it is just, you know, it's incredible. It really is. So, yeah, I, I think interest for everybody hypes as they get a little bit closer to the championship. I always loved uh, how people would get proud and you see it all over the place. The Italian flags, the Portuguese flags in particular in uh, Winnipeg this time of year, or, or, you know, when you get into the Euro cup or the world cup, it, it's really a, a, becomes a celebration of, of your heritage and, and, and family uh, lineage as well, which I kind of dig. Hey, Bob, just before we let you run here, you retreat, retweeted, pardon me, uh, an article from Three Down Nation via CFL News, Vernon Davis or Vernon Adams uh, Jr., the quarterback for the Alouettes, uh, suggesting that the CFL implement similar policies with regard to vaccinations uh, that they are in the NFL in the CFL. I'm not sure how, how closely you dug into what they're doing in the NFL. You're agreeing with uh, Vernon Adams Jr. here. Well, I guess what I'm saying, Greg, is along with Vernon Adams and a lot of people, Wade Miller, I think as many players as possible should get vaccinated. What they've done in the National Football League is they have serious, serious restrictions on players who are not vaccinated. Their freedoms are greatly restricted, and that's what Vernon Adams is saying. He said, let's do the same thing in the CFL. If you're vaccinated, great. You know, you have more freedom to do things, to go out, to go to restaurants or whatever. But if you're not, you're basically locked up during the course of the season. So 
for me, it's hard to argue with that sort of mentality. I, I think that would be something the Canadian Football League would love to achieve as they try to get their season started. Well, they will get it started and hope there are no bumps along the way. Yeah, if you're not fully vaccinated in the NFL, you have to get tested every single day. No daily tested right. testing required if you are fully vaccinated. There's a whole list of comparisons here. And uh, the last two on the two of the three last listed, I'm going to read here. No social media marketing or yeah. sponsorship activities permitted if you're not fully vaccinated. And how about this? If you are vaccinated and when you're on the road, may interact with vaccinated family, friends during team travel. If you're not vaccinated, may not leave the team hotel to eat right. in restaurants, may not interact with anyone outside of the team traveling party during team travel. So there are a lot of incentives there for, for players to become fully vaccinated in the NFL. And those look like uh, sincerely uh, decent rules that the CFL should be looking at, in my opinion. Uh, thanks for bringing that uh, up to our attention by retweeting it this morning, Bob. Yeah, I think they should look at that too. We'll see whether or not they, they take those steps. But the National Football League has made it very clear to its players that, hey, you know, if you're not vaccinated, you're the source of possible problems. And we want as few of those as we can have. Oh, hey, Bob, one more question before we go here. Uh, the golf yeah. tournament this weekend, the guy who won, no, I would not a huge name, but did you see how it played out? It ended up going. Yes. It was pretty exciting. <laughs> I watched it. I couldn't leave it, as a matter of fact. And it was funny, Jim Nats on CBS says, we might be here until Tuesday, or one of the commentators says, because they had eight playoff holes. It's one of the longest playoffs in uh, PGA Tour history. And Harris English won it, by the way. And, and Brad, he's won two tournaments this year. He's won a ton of money, I think over $4 million. He's really become a, a well-recognized player for those who follow golf. And up until then, he was a pretty pedestrian sort of guy. But it was... It was thrilling to watch. It was hard to tear yourself away from it yesterday. All right. Bob Irving joins us every Monday just after 8.30. Thank you so much, as always, Bob. Okay, guys. Giving away a $20 gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza based on your stories, your text messages about mishaps at work, and Uliana, one of our tremendous runner-up stories, Greg. Yeah, I was assisting at a dental office and part of our closing duties is to change the garbage bags. The garbage cans were built into the walls. I think we all know what that looks like. Those metal casings similar to a public washroom. I would usually take the can out, prop it against the wall with my knees and change the garbage so I wouldn't have to bend over. Well, the can slipped and the bottom of the rim of the can fell and struck the prongs of the plug that was in the socket. The shoes I would wear and the gloves on my hands must have helped me keep grounded, literally, because I saw sparks and felt a small jolt, but nothing shorted, and I was fine. A little taken aback, but I was okay after all. Close call. Yeah, you're not kidding, Liliana. Wow, thanks for sharing that. But Brandon is our winner. We shared this story earlier. We're going to share it again. Brandon says, my first day of work at McDonald's when I was 15 and it was a closing store shift. We closed at 11 p.m. After locking the doors, the manager instructed me to fill the milkshake machine. So I went back to the cooler to grab a 20-liter bag of milkshake cream. It was in a milk crate stacked eight high, so of course the bag was in the top crate. So I reached up to lift a bag out, but the cap got stuck on the handle of the crate and popped off, dumping all the cream on my head as I stood there in shock. 
I came out of the cooler covered in cream to tell my manager <laughs> the look on his face I will never forget. Manager and I were stuck there for an extra hour, unpaid, completely emptying the cooler to clean everything up, all while my dad was waiting out in the parking lot to pick me up. Worst day of work ever. What a way to start your job by dumping milkshake all over your face. Brandon, great story. Thank you for sharing. Greg of Canadians broke COVID-19 restrictions and many felt justified doing so, so says a survey. Yeah, almost 30% of respondents in a newly released Canada-wide survey admitted to breaking COVID-19 rules and, quote, felt justified in doing so. The survey by the Canadian Hub for Applied and Social Research at the University of Saskatchewan was done between June 1st and June 14th. It asked 1,000 people about how closely they stuck to public health orders and where they were getting their information about the pandemic. Some 29%, as we mentioned, said they broke at least one COVID-19 restriction. The most common transgressions were around gathering limits and wearing masks. But the survey, Brett, also found that respondents were generally diligent about following isolation requirements and gave honest responses to COVID-19 screening questions. So of the people who broke rules, 62% said they felt it was justified. Their reasons included wanting to see friends and family, that's 27%, and a belief that they were violating restrictions in a safe way, 17%. Some said they ignored rules that didn't make any sense, 21%, and 7% said they didn't believe the pandemic exists or is a problem. The survey says some people did not think regulations made sense for them because they were fully vaccinated and they felt what they were doing was safe given their status. And uh, by the way, the survey has a 3.1% margin of error, plus or minus 19 times out of 20. So you've got that 7% that said they didn't believe the pandemic existed or is a problem. So if that just translated, Brett, if we want to talk about vaccination rates, if that translated into a 93% percent vaccination rate and people double vaxxed at that rate we would be in a very good situation eventually here in Canada and around the world but it's those other people sort of on the fringes in those areas of gray that we've talked about so often in the last several months where yeah okay I know what the rules are but I'm going to dodge them I'm going to bend them or somewhere in between based on my circumstance and And there's a lot of people in retrospect looking back and going, I'm glad they did this survey, A, but also looking back and saying, hey, this is sort of how we got into this mess. We're we're people making up their own rules. And once again, another justification is the fact that there were some that felt the rules weren't clear and concise in the first place, but also potentially a convenient reason for doing something that they wanted to do and making the wording of the rules perhaps justify the things that they wanted to do so uh, those gray areas I think we're going to find out are going to be where those 10 15 20 maybe even 30 percent of people live yeah like on I think it was on Thursday or Friday somebody I follow on social media posted on her Instagram that uh, she was participating in some sort of a, a fitness boot camp in what looked to be somebody's backyard And at the end of this boot camp, at the end of the Instagram posts, there was a picture of 20 people, shoulder to shoulder, not a mask among them. 
And this was, I mean, I realized that loosened restrictions were coming on Saturday, but uh, that was not until Saturday. And the the backyard gathering, what is it? Uh, it's 10 people in a backyard. Is it 10? That's right. Okay. Yep. So this was 20 people. And uh, and no masks, no attempt to to physical distance, and this was just clearly somebody, uh, a group of people who said, ah, we don't care about the rules, and we don't even care that we're showing them. And uh, I I wanted to say something, but I I didn't. I figured, what's the point? You know, I've sort of reached that point where it's almost like there's no point in getting into arguments with people. Like I got into it uh, the other day with a guy who was saying he doesn't want to have get an untested vaccine. And I said, so I understand your hesitancy on that, but you've smoked thousands of cigarettes in your life. Like, are you okay with cigarettes? Because that is a tested product where you know that it will potentially cause cancer or emphysema or and, 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 and. And he said, oh, if I want to smoke cigarettes, that's my choice. This is a human rights issue. It's a discrimination issue. So there is that frustration sentiment out there. Uh, from people. And as it pertains to these restrictions, I mean, I think we all know somebody who says, yeah, my neighbor constantly having people over. I've, and I know at least one woman who's tried to call to report these neighbors on more than one occasion. And unfortunately just didn't get anywhere. Well, I can tell you, I know somebody that uh, had a fairly lengthy conversation, uh, someone close to me. So yes, it's secondhand, but uh, someone extremely close to me had a fairly lengthy conversation with one of the enforcement officials. And they said that if people got a ticket, it was typically because they'd been warned before. They handed out way more warnings than they did tickets. So that tells me that People who did get an infraction, for the most part, I'm not going to say exclusively, but for the most part, uh, had already been told, hey, um, you need to you need to not do this and continue to do it anyway. And, and you know, the, the enforcement side of it, I don't know how valuable that was in the first place. Uh, the threat of perhaps uh, being uh, issued a ticket, I suppose, could have altered the way some people lived their lives. But... As we've discussed in the past, Brett, and we, uh, you know, had a discussion last week where I threw this this uh, analogy in, this whole idea, you know, I'm teaching my kids how to drive or at least having them think about it because we're about a year and a bit away from uh, the boys wanting to get their driver's license and being able to do so and you know, trying to instill in them that common courtesy and and defensive driving and, and being aware of what's going on on the road, but also asking them questions, philosophical questions like, do you want to be a driver that doesn't go through a red light or ignores the rules because you don't want to get a ticket? Or do you want to be the type of person driver that doesn't go through red lights or coast through stop signs because you're concerned about the safety of other people and it's the right thing to do. And we're still having those philosophical, philosophical conversations as we make our way through uh, COVID-19 and what we hope is the end of the pandemic, not the end of COVID-19, but this pandemic phase of having this coronavirus as part of our lives for the for the foreseeable future. Well, the, and the, the driving thing is, is a good one because I think with the enforcement, uh, if they had made some sort of a really big splash early on by handing out a, a bunch of fines, people maybe would have taken it a bit more seriously or maybe would have not done something that they 
shouldn't be doing because there was that fear of getting caught. And I will admit that I am both of those drivers that you just described. I just as much will avoid speeding because I want to be safe, but I also avoid it because I don't want to get a ticket because I well, can't sure. like, I don't, you know, I, so uh, and there are certain neighborhoods where I might be even a bit more diligent. Like not that I'm speeding through neighborhoods where I know there's never a speed c- camera, but there are some streets where there's always a speed camera. Like there was all, when I used to, um, when we worked in Polo Park, I would take route 90 over the bridge and then I'd come up Academy and like clockwork, almost without fail, once you get around the bend, just as you're heading eastbound approaching Harrow, there was almost always a car there uh, nabbing speeders. So I knew that, okay, I, I maybe haven't checked my speedometer for a couple of minutes, but I'm going to have a look right now to make sure that I'm in the safe range because if I'm not, there's someone there waiting to, to ruin my day. So I think that that fear, as long as, you know, I think it, I think it helps keep us doing what we're supposed to, but at the same time, you can also realize that I'm not just doing it because I don't want to get a ticket. I'm doing this because, as you pointed out, Greg, it's the right thing to do. But I'm sort of in the middle. I, I'm both. And for me, either one, as long, as long as it keeps me from doing something I shouldn't be doing, I think that's okay. Mackling and McGarry, McNabb is in for Jeff Courier, and we say hello to Loren McNabb. Hi, Loren. Good morning. How are we doing this morning? Great. Feels weird to say that on a Monday. Five hours late, McNabb. What's going on? (laughs) It was so weird waking up this morning and feeling like, you know, that feeling of, uh uh-oh, am I where I'm supposed to be right now? I had to double check. And then, honestly, I don't know. We spent so much time outside this weekend. It was so lovely that um, you're going to hear, can you hear this? I'm like armed with a fly swatter this morning it's driving me insane i think i'm gonna have to keep it because i've i've sworn at it so many times this fly has heard a string of expletives that i can't can't handle right now but it's so warm outside we're getting ready to say like i think hello to some serious serious summer and uh saying goodbye to a few things so we've got lots coming up as i fill in for jeff this week we're of course going to talk about what we saw this weekend i know you guys have been speaking about to listeners about what they got up to are anyone in your circles asking the question what is a double dose Get me. I mean, beyond maybe a visit to the restaurant, the Public Health Agency of Canada put out guidelines for double-dose Canadians, what they think you should be able to do. And that has many wondering when might we see a return to more normal, maybe those indoor gatherings and all the rest, guys. And then we're going to speak to a couple teachers and a principal from Maples Collegiate in the next hour and a half about the end of the school year. Graduation ceremonies are in full force right now. So lots of kids saying goodbye to their grade 12 list, their friends and their School, and I'm curious for you guys, if you had to guess what is the one thing teachers are looking forward to never hopefully seeing again, what would it be? A Zoom Uh, meeting? Not a bad guess. Greg, if I had money to give you, I would give you the prize. Yeah. So we're going to speak to a teacher uh, in about an hour's time. She was just saying the one thing she hopes, she's got students that she she thinks she couldn't identify if she saw them out on the street without a mask because- that's how difficult the year was, right? You're A, most of it's over some sort of virtual call, like you mentioned, Brett. And then even when they're in class, they have the mask. And so she's got lots of reflections uh, on the year, the things she's looking forward to and the things they hope they never see again. So we'll be speak- saying goodbye to the school year. Hello to summer. What are you hoping that double dose gets you? Lots coming up just after 10 as I fill in for Jeff Courier this week.
Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.